You're listening to a sermon preached at Sojourn J-Town. We are currently in a series on prayer, exploring the possibility of prayer in the life of the believer. Good morning. There we go. Peace be with you. My name is Tony. I'm one of the pastors here at Sojourn. And like we have been saying, welcome. And also, happy New Year's Eve, Eve. Eve, Eve, Eve. I mean, what, what's, what do you say this week? You know, like I, I was thinking, what's the salutation for the last week of the year? Nobody knows. Nobody knows. So do you still say Merry Christmas? We still got the trees up here. Do you say Happy New Year? Just happy and welcome. We'll just keep it simple. How about that? Um, so yeah, obviously we are on the other side of Advent, the series that we've been working on um, through the month of December. And for this Last Sunday in December, we're going to start a new series that we're going to focus on um, with the topic of prayer, and specifically, prayers to end the year and prayers to begin the year. So we've, we've done this quite a few times in the past, this time of the year, and so the question always pops up in my own heart is like, all right, what's the, like, why do we do that? Why do we focus on prayer? There's an old uh, Scottish minister by the name of George MacDonald who has asked A similar question to which he replied, what if he, meaning God, knows prayer to be the thing that we need first and most? What if the main object in God's idea of prayer is the supplying of our great and our endless need, which is the need of himself? Hunger may drive the runaway child home and he may or may not be fed at once, but he needs his mother more than his dinner. Communion with God is the one need of the soul beyond all other need, and prayer is the beginning of that communion. So that's, in the spirit of that, that's our hope, is that, is that as a church, as God's people, that through prayer we'll, we'll be a people that cultivate a natural, consistent communion with God. And I mean, all of us, we have things that we long for in our lives and the lives of others that need to happen that human beings are just not able to do. And so we pray to the one who is able. So in all of that hope, this week we're going to jump into that. And we're going to look particularly at how gratitude toward God fits into our prayer life. So if you are willing and able, I just want to invite you to stand as we read God's Word. Words are going to be on the screen. If you need a Bible, there should be one underneath one of the seats in front of you. Now, we touched on these verses a bit last week, so we're just going to revisit them again this week a little more. This is out of Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. So hear the word of the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Pray with me, please. Father, we come in here as we do every week and even singing it today, God, just confessing that we need you. 
I just pray, God, that you will meet us today where we are and whatever's happened this week, this year. We will confidently bring all that to you, God, and that we will be met by your grace and that that grace will transform us into a people of gratitude. That's hard, and we need your help to do that. So we just ask for that help through the power of your Spirit and in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. All right, Paul of Tarsus. Come on, man. Bringing the good stuff like he always does, right? So just ending this letter to the Philippians. What is the last thing I want to say to him? Well, let me just give all of these easy things. Look, guys, just rejoice. Rejoice. Do it always. You know, I mean, don't, don't worry about anything. But just pray about everything. You know, and do that. Present that to God. Give thanks. And look, just receive peace. I mean, come with it, bro. That's what this bringing the heat. But Paul, I got to ask, you got any idea what happened this year? I mean, do, do any of us really have any idea what happened this year? I mean, we've talked ad nauseum about it, right? And rightfully so, because it's so weird and it's so crazy. And so we talk about it. And I don't want to belabor a lot of talk about the prior year. I do want us to reflect on a few things, just a, just a couple things if you humor me of things that have happened in 2020. Does anyone remember the murder hornets? Anybody? Okay, a few people. Yeah, so that came in the news earlier this year. And I can remember thinking, look, if there's an insect that exists that has the word murder in front of it, that's, that's enough to keep me in the house for at least a day. You know what I mean? Which is about the time that that news existed. Uh, if you didn't hear about them, it's because it wasn't around long. I don't know what happened. I don't know if they were released too soon, and they were like, oh, let's put them back up. It's the wrong decade. We'll save that for 2030. I don't, I don't know what happened. But it happened. Murder hornets are real, okay? Um, not too long ago, the Pentagon released video of UFOs. <laughs> they didn't come out and say that aliens exist, but UFOs do. I mean, aliens, aliens are real, y'all, and we found that out this year. <laughs> And the government says so. I mean, it's, that's crazy. That's crazy. Um, how about dress shirt and sweatpants for Zoom calls? Anybody got that fashion sense going on? It's okay. It's okay. No shame. I know you have. I did too. And I probably will next week. That's normalized now. That's what 2020 had to offer us. And lest I forget, COVID. Wear a mask. Don't wear a mask. Oh, well, let's go eat out. Oh, no, no. Second thought, let's just get takeout. Oh, but let's invite our neighbors over. That'll be fun. Whoa, whoa, text them back and tell them, no, nah, never mind. I mean, that is, that is what we've been dealing with all year long. And I mean, here at the church, on-the-fly decision-making all year on how can, we, how can we still love and serve everyone well and safely gather. Our community groups, our community group leaders, still to this day trying to figure out what does community even mean now? I mean, we, we miss our family. We miss our friends. We miss hugging each other. Can I get an amen, David Riggs? Yeah. <laughs> and look, as we come in today, I think that we all hope to be done with all that has happened this year. I mean, this has been very painful, sad, and difficult. And as we as a church look forward to 2021, 
We're stepping in here today to think about praying with gratitude. I mean, wouldn't it be a bit more fitting if perhaps we talked about praying for perseverance or maybe even deliverance? You know, I mean, throw a bone, maybe even just get in the psalm. There's got to be something in there on lament and suffering. Doesn't that seem to fit a little more with the year that we've had? But the more I thought about it, the more I thought, you know, what could be more fitting than to end the year with a focus on what seems to have been absent in large part for the majority of the year? To simply say to God, thank you. I was introduced to a podcast recently that contained this quote by a guy named Meister Eckhart. He says that the only prayer you pray your entire life is thank you. It will be enough. And I think it's healthy for us to acknowledge the difficulty in this, much like we did last week when we were talking about joy. Thankfulness is hard. It's hard and it's probably even more so in light of the innumerable ways that that's affected every one of you. We all have stories on what 2020 has meant for us. But I do want to encourage us that even in that, gratitude is still possible with the gracious God. And according to what we see in Scripture, it is a necessity for a life that's lived to its fullest as a citizen of God's kingdom. So there's, there's only two things that I want to talk about today. Um, and kind of to continue that train of thought from last week where, where joy is an invitation from God to step on this path with Him, to experience joy from Him. I mean, along those same lines, if we think about it every day, we've got two paths moment to moment that we can walk on. One of them is a path of ingratitude, and the other is a path of gratitude. And after we look at those two paths, I just want to give us one practical way that we can walk along the path of gratitude together with God as a church as we pray and move forward. And I think um, as, we, as we start diving into this, I think it's helpful in the beginning to, to remember and realize who's writing these words in Philippians 4. All right, this is, this is Paul writing to the Philippian church, and Paul has a long-standing relationship with this church. So a little bit over a decade prior to him writing what we just read earlier, Paul was actually in Philippi helping to plant the Philippian church. And shortly after, he and his buddy Silas were just walking around town doing the ministry of the Lord. And then they got thrown into prison for maybe unintentionally messing with the city's economy. So they're in prison. And then over a decade later, he's writing a letter to the Philippians, presumably in Rome. And guess where he is? In prison again. I mean, this poor dude is perpetually in prison for his love of God. And not only that, if we, if we look at another letter that he wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, this is believed to have been about six years before he's writing what we just read today. Paul himself just kind of recaps a little bit of the hardship that he's already been through. And just to name a few, five times he received 39 lashes. He was beaten with rods three times. He was stoned once, not drug-related. He was shipwrecked three times. 
He was robbed. He was hungry, thirsty, without food, without clothing. And then in one of the weird stories that he tells, he's escaping arrest from a king, and the only way for him to do that was to be put in a basket and let down out of a window in a wall. So, I mean, even after going through all that, he still writes these words. I mean, this is, these words are coming from a life of extreme difficulty. He's not saying any of this because he's naive. He's not, he's not saying this stuff because he, he rests every night on a Tempur-Pedic mattress with a memory foam pillow. No. He's saying these things as one that walks with a limp. And you know, knowing that brings some credibility. But I still read this and I'm, I think to myself, man, this is not only hard, but it seems a little impossible, Paul. I mean, even when you look at the language that he has here and the totality that he expresses, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. Don't worry about anything, but in everything, pray. So not only is Paul telling the Philippians, and I believe God is speaking to us today to say, look, be, you know, not only be reasonable to everyone, don't worry, pray, ask, give thanks, do all these in the presence of God and others, but he's saying to do this every moment and in its fullness. And I would venture to say, that when we hear these words, we hear this as an unbelievable reality because that's not our consistent lived experience. I mean, we look at this and we read these words and we know that this is good. And we, we know that there's truth here. And we know that this is a right, life-giving way to live into. I mean, there are untold amounts of books on how to be more thankful. To my knowledge, there are zero books on how to be less thankful. I even tried to find it, guys, I did. I got on Google, started typing, um, and I typed, how can I be more of a grumbler? And it kept trying to autocorrect grumbler to crumbler. And then I just hit enter anyway, and you know, the, the search results pop up. You know, sometimes Google gets smart and asks you questions. So it happened on this one, underneath the search bar, it said, did you mean rumbler? I mean, it's, <laughs> It's almost like Google was talking to me and saying, I'm pretty sure that's not what you mean. I mean, you gotta be, nobody has ever typed that in, how to be better at grumbling. And if we even look beyond that, if you got kids, think about your conversation with your children as they're growing up, and you're trying to train them up in the way of the Lord, right? And whenever they're young and all the way up to, somebody gives them a gift, you look at them and you say, what? Now, what do you say? right? We want this life with God and others. We agree with this. We, we know it's important. So why is it so hard? I think there's a lot of reasons. I mean, we live in a broken world, right? Things are not as they should be, and we feel and we respond to that every day. I mean, the Bible is full of prayers of lament and frustration and agony as it should be, because that's what we experience in this world. I mean, we have the sin of our own hearts to deal with. We've got the sin of others to contend with, and not to mention the effects of the fall on everything. I mean, things break, plans change, 
we break, we get sick, COVID happens. You know, and God knows that there's an inherent part of our nature within us and around us resulting from the fall that is going to fight tooth and nail to keep us from giving thanks for all that He is and all that He's done. And if I can put my finger on just one thing today, one thing that I think has contributed to that this year, one path of ingratitude would be a sense of entitlement. One definition that I ran across in an article describes it like this. Entitlement places self at the center of one's universe. Relationships, circumstances, and engagement with life are usually interpreted with self-focused expectations as the primary point of reference. If I reflect on my own life in general, as much as I'd like to say otherwise, there's more of this present in me than I'd care to confess. And maybe as a whole, it's probably more present in all of us and in our culture at large than we would care to confess. But I do trust God's Word in James that confession brings healing. And the reason I want to point this out, the reason I want us to see this is that that whenever we allow ourselves to believe that we deserve anything or that we deserve more than what we have or that we're better than another, we will find ourselves incapable of gratitude. I mean, as we reflect on this past year, have we seen this surface in our own lives? You know, for me, and I think for a lot of us, we spend a lot of time at home. i got three wonderful children at home. But for me, kind of reflecting how my year's been, it might be me getting angry at my kids for not behaving the way that I want them to. Because after all, I'm entitled to a certain order and peace within my home when I want it. Or it might be after a long day's work. I come home, hope to be met with hugs and smiles and a kiss from my wife. And then I walk in the door, and maybe I'm not welcomed like I thought I should be. And my initial response inside might be, are you kidding me? Do you have any idea the kind of day that I've had today? I deserve better than this. I mean, am I not acting in a way that I'm more worthy than my children or my wife? Or, or that I'm entitled to better because of what I've done or because of my status and role within the home? How else might this play out? I mean, do I feel entitled because I'm male? Or because you're female? Or because I'm American? Because my skin is a certain shade? Or because you're straight? or because you're educated, or you have a good job, or your bank account's full, or because I'm a Christian? How about within the church? How does it play out there? Do I feel entitled because I've been walking in these doors every day since the doors opened? Because I'm a deacon? Or an elder? Or because my ideas of ministry are better than their ideas of ministry? I mean, fill in the blank. 
And then once, once COVID hit, and masks became a thing, which is a new reality for all of us this year. I mean, you got one side that thinks, look, you can't tell me what to do. I've read the science. Masks are useless. And then you got another side that thinks, well, I too have read the science. And you obviously don't care about the health of other people. And while we're still trying to figure all that out in those conversations and work through that, the election cycle pops up. You vote a Republican? Well, I don't really guess you care about the needs of others and any number of social issues that are out there. So therefore, you are less worthy. Or wait, you voted Democrat? Well, I guess that you don't care about life and biblical family values. So therefore, you are less worthy. Or just on a general sense, have any of us ever said, that's not fair? Or that's not my job? Or how did they get that? I worked so much harder. And look, I don't, I don't point any of this out to throw stones and heap guilt because that's not helpful. And I don't say any of this to invalidate any of those responses because there is a ton of nuance and layers there because of life experience, because of injustice, because of hurt. And listen, God sees you and He hears you and He welcomes those responses and your pain. But I do point this out simply for us to recognize that those responses are in us. And can we just be aware of it? And then maybe after we become aware of it, can we just start peeling that onion back just a little bit? An author by the name of Philip Yancey says it this way, and I added the parenthesis. Christians get very angry toward other Christians who sin or live differently than they do. So all I want to put before us is that this is our response. If we have responses like this in our life, then let's just ask God, why? Why am I responding this way? Do we respond in certain ways to what doesn't suit us because we feel more worthy then? Because we feel entitled to a certain way of life that others are expected to fit into and agree with? And church, listen, this is something that has been wrestled with for millennia. So we are in good company. I mean, if we go all the way back to the garden in Genesis, the serpent shows up, has a conversation with humanity. Humanity ends up believing that God's holding out on them and says, well, you know what? God's keeping that for me. I'm entitled to that. So I'm going to take it and I'm going to eat it. And the unraveling begins to unfold. Cain and Abel. Israel grumbling in the desert for 40 years after they had already been rescued from slavery in Egypt. Jonah. Pharaoh. King Saul. David, the man after God's own heart. I mean, basically, the entire book of Judges. And Pharisees pop up. Everyone that passed by the injured traveler in the parable of the Good Samaritan. Jesus' own disciples arguing over who's going to sit at His right hand. And on and on and on. And the pattern that we see here and that we see in our own lives is that when entitlement reigns, gratitude goes into exile. They cannot coexist. And when gratitude is in exile, 
our relationship with God and with one another suffers and withers, and it is a ripple effect that touches everyone. Entitlement is sneaky. I mean, it's usually something that's pretty easily seen in other people, not so much easy to see in ourselves. So to help us try to identify this in our own lives, I just want to leave us with a few questions on this to to reflect on. Do I feel discontent? Do I feel envy or resentment over the blessings that others seem to have? Am I disappointed in life? Do I doubt God's faithful provision for me? Do I often compare myself and my situation to others? Any yeses? Yeah, me too. So how do we respond to this? I mean, what do, we, what, do we, what do we do with this? This may be a familiar path that you've been walking on for a very long time, and you might not even see another way. So how do we step off of this path of ingratitude? Well, here in Philippians 4, I feel like God does give us another path and a reason to be on it. Because we've got to understand, too, Paul also walked this way of entitlement, this path of ingratitude. The same person writing these words used to be a terrorist to Jesus and his ways. And then that same Jesus meets him on a road to Damascus, and God shows him a way of gratitude. Listen to how Eugene Peterson conveys Paul's writing in Ephesians 2, which I feel like does a pretty good job of laying out both of these opposing paths. He says it like this, It wasn't so long ago that you were mired in that old stagnant life of sin. You let the world, which doesn't know the first thing about living, tell you how to live. You filled your lungs with polluted unbelief and then exhaled disobedience. We all did it. All of us doing what we felt like doing. All of us in the same boat. It's a wonder that God didn't lose His temper and do away with the whole lot of us. But instead, immense in mercy and with an incredible love, He embraced us. He took our sin-dead lives and made us alive in Christ. He did all this on His own with no help from us. And then He picked us up and set us down in the highest heaven in company with Jesus, our Messiah. Now God has us where He wants us with all the time in this world and next to shower grace and kindness upon us in Christ Jesus. Saving is all His idea, all His work. All we do is trust Him enough to let Him do it. It's God's gift from start to finish. We don't play the major role. And if we did, we'd probably go on around bragging that we'd done it all ourselves. No, we neither make nor save ourselves. God does both the making and the saving. Also, these lyrics from a band that I love listening to because they do a really good job of acknowledging the ashes all around us while also painting a picture of beauty and hope that rises from those ashes. And I think Paul would say that this is true of himself. And the lyrics go like this. And still I'm a wicked, wretched man. I do everything I hate. I'm fighting to be God. I seethe and claw and thrash and shake. I have killed and stacked the dead on a throne from which I reign 
In the end, I just want blood, and with His blood, my hands are stained. But see, the God who reigns on high, He has opened His own veins, and from His wounds, a rushing torrent that can wash it all away. Grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. How do we step off of this path of ingratitude and onto a path of thankfulness? It is only possible for us to even see the other path through the grace of God shown fully to us in His Son, Jesus. That's the only way for us to look at Philippians 4, 4 and 7 and think, okay, this makes sense. I see how this could be possible. Because, guys, here's the thing. Regardless of the truth of the circumstances that we have all found ourselves in this year, and the confusion, and the frustration, and the anger, and jealousy, and entitlement that we've all experienced, there is a greater truth that does not change with our circumstances and with our responses. And that is why we were still sinners. Christ died for us. Amen. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Look, we can rejoice because it's not an empty rejoicing. It is in the Lord. And we can do it always because His grace is always a reality regardless of what we do or do not bring to His table every day. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. We can be reasonable people to everyone because of grace. Listen, we have nothing to prove. Nothing. The Lord and His grace are near to you right now. Rest in that and let God's grace speak for itself. Don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Anxiety exists. Anxiety will continue to exist. But because of grace, we don't have to worry about anything. You are safe in Christ. Because of grace, nothing is out of bounds. Bring everything to God. Your entitlement, your anger, your confusion, your fears, bring it with you. Commune with your compassionate Father. Ask whatever you like. The grace of God in just His accessibility points us to gratitude. The Creator and Sustainer of all that we see and don't see, not a hair falls from your head without Him knowing, not a molecule moves without His touch, not a breath comes in and out of your body without His power, not a human can be saved from themselves or from our fallen reality without His acting. This God does not have to make Himself accessible to us. We don't deserve it. We certainly can't work for it. But He did. And He does. The Lord is near. Thanks be to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Unimaginable grace. Unimaginable peace. Grace guards you. Grace keeps you. Grace is not disappointed in you. Grace is always a peaceful welcome. Grace destroys entitlement. 
and it makes gratitude a reality. When grace reigns, gratitude comes home. When we see Jesus and we see the depths of his love to bring you back home with him, and we bring nothing to the table but brokenness and debris from this past year and years past, how else can we respond but thank you? Is entitlement keeping you from gratitude? Grace is there. Earlier in Philippians, Paul says that Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus knows the path that you've walked this year. He bore that path for you. His arms stretched out to welcome you to this path of gratitude and to welcome you home to the Father, and not because of who you are, but because of who He is. That's grace. And that's the greatest gift any of us can receive, and God is always giving that gift to His children. So what do we say? So in light of that grace and that life-giving gift, I just want to leave us with something that I hope to be helpful to walk that path of gratitude in your own homes and us together as a church. You know, a primary means of grace that God gives us, and we do this every Sunday, we rehearse the gospel and we remember who God is and what God has done for us through Jesus. Um, most of you should have got, if not, we have plenty of them. One of these when you walked in. So this is, um, this is just a tool that we want to provide for you. It's called a prayer of examine. And this was put together by St. Ignatius over 400 years ago. And all it is is just a technique for us, a technique of prayerful reflection and what I want to ask us to do and encourage you to do this week is use this to reflect on this past year. There's a, um, there's a certain cadence to this, a peeling of the onion, so to speak. So if, if you look at that, what it's inviting you into is that when you, when you make time to pray with the Lord, first thing is just become aware of God's presence. Look back on the events of the year. Was it, was it confusing to you? Was it a fog? Just ask God for some clarity. And then move into a time where you just review the year with gratitude. Gratitude is the foundation of our relationship with God. We respond to grace with thanks. So review the year with that. Walk through the year, note its joys and delights. Focus on the year's gifts. Look at the work you did, the people you met, the food you ate the sounds you heard, the TVs or streaming concerts that you watched. Pay attention to all the little things. God's in the details. And then moving on from that, pay attention to your emotions. So St. Ignatius said that we do detect the presence of the Spirit of God in the movements 
of our emotions. And what he means by that is just reflect on your feelings. What's this year been like for you? Have you been bored? Have you been compassionate? Confident? Scared? Pay attention to those feelings. And what's God saying through those things? Does a feeling of frustration perhaps mean that God might, you, might want you to take a different direction in something? Is there somebody that you're always thinking about? Maybe, maybe Holy Spirit's saying, reach out to that person. And then after that, just choose one future of the year and pray from it and just ask the Holy Spirit to direct you to something. I mean, whether that's a particularly important moment, it may involve a feeling, maybe a significant encounter. Just ask the Holy Spirit to show you what that is and pray about it. And then finally, look toward tomorrow. Look toward next year. Ask God to give you light in next year's challenges. As you think of the next year, pay attention to what pops up in you. Are you nervous? Are you scared, dreadful? Are you excited, anticipating the next year? Pay attention to those things. Turn those feelings into prayer. Talk to Jesus like a friend. Because that's what He is. He's a friend of sinners. And do all this in a spirit of gratitude. At the end of the day, when we take all the noise away and we think about it, life is a gift. And there is an abundance of good gifts that the Lord has given us. Come from a place of gratitude. As we end this year and step into a new one, let's step into this together. Commune with your compassionate Father. See what He has done. And by God's grace, may we be a grateful people for His glory, for our good, and the good of others. And pray with me, please. Hey, I'm Lyle Drury and the lead pastor at Sojourn Church, J-Town. Thanks for listening. We are here to reach people with the gospel, build them up as a church, and send them into the world to be a faithful, loving presence. For more sermons, info about our church, or ways you can support our ministry, visit sojournchurch.com slash jtown.